great to see everybody on this nice, cool Sunday. And Grady still has air conditioning on. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Come on in, the water's fine. It's great to see everybody. Welcome, welcome. I'd like to also welcome everyone watching us online. So glad you're able to join us this morning. We do have a few announcements before we spend some time worshiping the Lord through song. First thing I mentioned last week, uh, we have the opportunity to bless the Auburn University of Montgomery AUM Baptist Campus Ministry has a Thanksgiving meal every November. You got any AUM students? I know we got some. I see the dudes. All right, cross country. Woohoo! Um, so we have an opportunity to bless them with some desserts, uh, partnering with some other churches um, for this coming Wednesday. So we need about three or four more individuals. Many families have already signed up. Just need a few more to be able to uh, cover what we need to do. So the desserts need to be here at the church by Tuesday or at the very latest 9 a.m. Wednesday morning, and then I would deliver them over to the BCM around 10 or so. So let me know after church, or you can call the office tomorrow if we can get about three or four more individuals to help bring a dessert. It could be anything. Uh, they just love the opportunity to uh, get some yummy stuff, and other churches provide the turkey and all the rest of this wonderful meal. Also today at 4.30 here in the sanctuary is a time of prayer. Um, gathering is every other week, so 4.30 today, time of prayer here to pray for our church, the river region, things going on in our world, our nation, um, for a time of intercession. Men and boys backpacking trip. We've mentioned it a couple times. It's next Saturday and Sunday, the 19th and 20th. It's open to men of all ages and their sons five years old and up. Space is limited, and the deadline to register is today by one. Mike Presley, where are you? There he is. Mike's leading the trip, so if you can let Mike know, you can even tell him, hey, we're wanna, we want to go, get on board. Um, you can talk to Mike afterwards or by one o'clock today online at gatewaybaptist.com. Another reminder of Operation Christmas Child, wonderful time of year for us to get the boxes made for some kids around the world. Uh, we still have plenty here in the um, hallway and some over in the gym. And the deadline to get that back here is next Sunday. And then we will deliver them to Ridgecrest as they take them to Atlanta. So next Sunday, all of the boxes need to be in, um, in the office hall for us to deliver. Last thing, we have some wonderful Christmas fellowships coming up. It's that time of year again. And some special opportunities to come together and build relationships and share community together. The entire schedule is on the website at gatewaybaptist.com on our blog, and you'll get to see the calendar and all those wonderful things we get to enjoy together. Amen? Let's stand together as we prepare our hearts to worship the Lord this morning. We're going to be reading from Psalm chapter 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear through... The Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. 
The, he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's worship him this morning.
Says, "Pay for it." 
will, they existed and were created. Worthy are you, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. We want to join with these words that are lifted in heaven that we read about in Revelation. And we thank you that we can join in those here on earth this day with people from churches all throughout this land and and earlier in different parts of the world. Lift your name high and recognize you for who you are and recognize us for who we are not. We, in all truth, come like the tax collector in Luke. It says, have mercy on us sinners. As the the song mentioned, where where sin runs deep, your grace is deeper. We thank you for that. We, We thank you for that. May your name be lifted high in the words that are spoken here that Grady preaches. May it be lifted high in our hearts as we as we listen, as we sing later. May you be lifted high. My God, we come before you with some different prayer requests because we have people who are hurting. We have people who are sick in our congregation, in our church family here. We lift them up to you. You are comfort to them while they are they are suffering with these things, these issues that they're dealing with, these medical issues. We pray for wisdom on behalf of the individuals who are caring for them, the doctors and the medical, that the treatments go well, that uh, they are they are in your hands and they sent your care for them. We coming up after the election this week and we just pray for the government leaders that have been selected and, and that uh, you will grant them uh, wisdom and attention to you and you'll bring their hearts to you as they as they endeavor to lead in their, in their new roles. We thank you for the ones that you've selected. There, there are none that are put there by accident. They are you. They are ones that you have, you have put there and help us to be respectful of them. We just lift up to you the folks that are serving in our community, the Montgomery Baptist Association, and the, the folks that are helping provide food to those who are in need and help help uh, that stock of food uh, be deep so that they can continue to serve. And we pray for Jeremy Lynch as he does that. We lift up to you uh, folks that are serving folks in other lands, in particular the missionaries that are serving needs that there are in in northern Thailand and in Chiang Rai, folks that they're dealing with ministry to the the Buddhist people that are there, that are are ministering to the hill tribe people that are there, that are serving orphans that are in that community. We just pray that your your spirit is evident in those those people as they reach out to those that that are lost. We thank you for how you've been a blessing to this church. We pray that our hearts
wisely as, as we as we uh, make decisions here in this church body. And uh, we thank you for how you've taken such good care of us. We lift these prayers up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. First to fourth grade, you're dismissed to kids' worship. So first to fourth graders, you're dismissed to kids' worship. Yeah, Mr. Rick and Miss Kim today. Oh, the kids are all headed to kids' worship. You'll find 1 Peter chapter 2 in your copy of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. We're in a section where Peter has been showing us how God's grace changes us and changes every part of our lives. In particular, Peter's been focusing on how God's grace changes how we relate to each other in society. We spent several weeks looking at what his word teaches us about how we relate to the government. And then in just a few weeks, we'll get to the section where he talks about how God's grace changes how husbands and wives relate in the home. But in between those today, we come to a very challenging text. This is a text that has been confusing to some, that's been abused by others, and it's been frustrating to so many. This is a text where Peter addresses how Christian slaves or Christian servants should respond to their masters over them. Now, before we unpack that text about how Christian slaves or servants are to respond to their masters, there's some fundamental things we need to understand as we study this text together so that we do not hear something that is not here or read into this text something that is not there, but also, friends, so that we do not miss the lessons that God has for you and I today. It's easy to look at this text and skip over it thinking there's no application for us, but there's deep and rich application for you and I today. It was not our entire text, so we can frame it. I want you to go ahead and look at verse 18 this morning, and then I want us to talk about the big picture so we can understand it. But look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. Now, before we read more and unpack that this morning, I want us to start with five questions to make sure we understand what we're looking at in this text. We did this similarly when we looked at Ephesians about four years ago with a similar passage. But I want to make sure we can frame this to understand what Peter is addressing here and how this impacts us. So five questions first to frame what we're going to study in God's Word this morning. Number one, first of all, what is servanthood or what is slavery? If you look back at verse 18, he addresses servants here. Some of your translations may say household servants and some of your translations may say slaves. Now, there's two words in Greek that communicate this, this group here. This is, there's a general word for slaves. That is not what Peter is using here. That's what Paul uses in Ephesians in a very similar text. This is a very specific Greek word for household servants. So he's addressing the slaves who are primarily working in the home. Now, scholars debate why he addresses such a specific group of servants, but they think it's because he's going to go next to the family and talk about husbands and wives. So he's showing fundamentally at the closest level, most intimate level of relationships, how God's grace changes how we relate. So they think that's why he's starting here, particularly honing in on the household servants, this relationship between a Christian servant or slave and their household master. Regardless of whether you're talking about servants or slaves here, both words communicate the same idea. So what is a slave or a servant? It is a person who is owned by another and hence deprived of his or her freedom. So we're talking about a group of people who are owned by someone else and hence deprived of their freedom. Now we need to be clear here, forced servitude is sinful. It is not ordained by God. It is never in any way, including here, ever endorsed in Scripture. Rather, Scripture lists enslaving other people as a sin. For example, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. I think we have that up there for you. Understanding this, that the law was not laid down for the just 
but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and for the sinner. So big picture, here Paul in talking to Timothy is addressing this big group of the lawless, the disobedient, the ungodly, the sinners, people who are not in Christ. Now what is included in this? Those who strike their fathers and their mothers, murderers. Now verse 10, he carries on this list, the sexually immoral, the men who practice homosexuality. Notice this, the enslavers. Then he goes on with liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. But do not miss that in the middle of this list, Paul clearly says that those who enslave others, who deprive people of their freedom for service, it is a sin in par with sexual morality and many, many other sins in Scripture. So with that in view, we need to be clear here that Peter is not endorsing or approving slavery or servitude in any way here. Rather, he is specifically addressing Christians who are stuck in this sinful situation to show them how to biblically respond. So that is what is servitude, what is slavery, is persons who are owned by another and deprived of their freedom. Second question, though, and this one's really important. What was slavery like at the time? We go back to verse 18, and he says, to servants be subject to your masters. We need to understand what he's talking about here. There's a grave danger when we hear these terms of imposing our historical setting in the United States on what was happening in the Roman Empire. One of the scholars I read a lot in First Peter has been really helpful is a guy by the name of David Helm. He said this as a caution to us. So for those of us who live in North America, it is impossible to read these verses without the history of our country's horrific commitment to slavery coming to our minds. In this respect, our own past is appalling. And at first glance, these verses appear inappropriate. They seem to accept the very thing we have now come to disdain. And hence, these have become frustrating verses for people because we come to these and we impose what happened in the U.S., the tragedy of our history, onto what happened in the Roman Empire. But we must realize that slavery and forced servitude is wrong. What happened in the Roman Empire and what happened in the U.S. are radically different. They are not the same. They're almost in completely different spheres of reality. Three distinctions you need to understand about servanthood or slavery in the Roman Empire that's very different than what we had in the U.S. Number one, race played no factor in it. Race played no factor in it. Jews and Gentiles both were slaves. Roman people and people from other nations were in servanthood together. Race played no factor. It was not based on your appearance. It was not based on your background. On the surface as you walked around a Roman city, you had no way to know who was a slave and who was not. You could not tell on the surface because race played no factor. Ethnicity played no factor. Number two, the slaves or the servants at the time had specialized positions and great responsibility. They had specialized positions and great responsibility. Yes, there were some who did manual labor in the fields, but many of the servants were the slaves. They were doctors, they were teachers, they were writers, they were musicians, they were artisans, they were accountants, they were even sea captains of ships who were doing very specialized positions in their, for their master in that community. In fact, the masters often invested in the education of their slaves, and it was very common for slaves to be better educated than their masters because of the tasks that they were doing. Third distinction we need to realize, slavery at the time was not permanent. Slavery at the time was not permanent. Many of these servants or slaves who Peter is addressing would have a realistic expectation of being emancipated, usually by the time they were 30 years old. Many of them got financial rewards when they got their freedom. Many of them could become Roman citizens when they were free, and yet because of the conditions, many of them chose to continue working for their masters because they had become part of the family and they had good employment. So what we're reading here, again, we cannot impose what happened in U.S. history on this setting here. It was a very different setting, yet still it was a sinful situation because people were being deprived of their freedom and their rights. It was involuntary. That leads to our third question. Why does Peter address this? 
Why is Peter addressing this group of people? And quite frankly, friends, because it was a tragic reality at the time. The different scholars say that there were probably about 27 million slaves at the time. They say in Roman cities, up to one-fourth of the population of a city would be people in forced servitude like this. And that would include many Christians, Christians that Peter was writing to. And so think back to why Peter wrote this book. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12, we remind ourselves of this first often. He says, By Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Peter wants us to stand firm in God's grace whatever situation we find ourselves in. And so if one-fourth of the people, perhaps, who are receiving his letter are in forced servitude, he wants to show them how God's grace changes how they relate to those masters. So he's answering the question, how does a sojourner in Christ, an elect exile, a servant of God, how do they honor God while they're stuck in this sinful institution of slavery? Fourth big picture question, why does he not condemn it? That's a frustration of many people. Why does he just come right out and call this a sin and not condemn it. Well, there's a place for that, and God has raised up amazing people in the history of Europe and the history of the U.S. who have done that, and we're grateful for those, but that was not Peter's calling here. Peter's focus here is how to equip believers to stand firm in God's grace wherever they find themselves, even in the toughest circumstance. Peter's focus is on our heart and our relationship to God, how that transforms our perspective of the good times and in the bad. Peter does not write to solve every societal problem, Peter writes to address the problem of my heart and your heart and how we respond to the problems of society around us. His point is not to show us how sinful society is. We know that he's holding up the mirror to show us the sinfulness of our own heart and how we respond to that because that's a lot harder for us to see than the problems out there. So though Peter does not directly address the sinfulness of servitude here, we realize the whole counsel of Scripture does. Everything in Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, that teaches us the nature of God and how people are made in His image, and all the commands of Scripture, how we're to love one another and to to care about them and to serve them, all of that shows the evilness of the institution of slavery. So one last question before we dig into our text. What relevance does this have for us today? If we're talking about an institution some 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire that Peter is addressing, what in the world does this have to speak to you and I today? quite simply, friends, what Peter writes here is a paradigm for every one of us. It is a paradigm for every one of us. It's an example, a lesson, a model for us. Now, how so? Because frankly, friends, every one of us is under some type of authority. None of us are in forced servitude. None of us are in slavery, but yet we are still under authority. None of us are independent. We all have someone over us, and hence we are all accountable to others. And also, friends, in the reality of this world, every one of us is going to be treated wrongly at times. We're in a broken world full of sin and full of corruption. That means authority will be abused. That means people will be cruel to one another. That means we will be sinned against. And so we have God-given instruction, not just for the people in servitude in Peter's time here, but for us as well. How do we respond to authorities over us, especially when they're unjust and especially when they're sinful? And what he's showing us as a paradigm for us, if slaves in this awful institution of slavery can find the grace of God to respond well to their masters, how much more so can you and I today find the grace of God to obey God to the authorities over us when we disagree with them? So there's a deep truth for us here that I want us to see. So with all that in view, was to come to our text for today. So can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Yes, we're halfway through the sermon, and it's time to read the text, right? (laughs) 
get a stretch break halfway through today. But today we want to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 20. As usual, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, and we have the words on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one into your sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for all of your word, this text that we run to and love, and these texts that perhaps we gloss over or pass over or feel uncomfortable with. We thank you that you've given it all because it's your good revelation for us. And Father, as we tackle this tougher subject here of how the servants were to respond to their masters, Lord, I pray you be teaching each one of us how you want us to respond to the authorities over us. And whether it's the authorities in our workplace, the authorities in our school or on our athletic teams, the authorities in the government, whoever you've put over us, I pray you'd use this text today to be shaping our attitude and our response to those you put in positions of authority over us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Here's the main idea I want us to unpack from this text today. This is the big picture of what I want to explore in these three verses. It's quite simply this. We can submit to authority regardless of how we are treated by knowing that we belong to God. That we can submit to the authorities God has put over us regardless of how they treat us. In other words, we can obey the authorities over us even if they're unjust. We can be respectful of the authorities over us even if they're not moral people. We can submit to the authorities over us, even if they have wronged us. And how can we do that? By remembering our identity, that we belong to God, that we are, what Peter showed us, the elect exiles. We are sojourners and strangers. We are servants of God. And the more we understand who God is, and the more we understand who we are in Christ, we find strength, we find grace to gladly submit to the authorities over us, even if they are not upstanding people. And friends, the reality is for some of you today, You are in work situations where the authority figures over you make your life really difficult. You're in situations at work where you have authorities over you that are unkind or even dishonest. Some of you today are in school or team situations where the authority figure over you in that academic or sports setting is partial and they show favors. They're unjust and they're really selfish and difficult people to be under. Some of you are in government situations where the authority over you does not apply the law equally and you struggle to have respect for someone who treats people in different ways in different situations. In other words, some of you have people in authority over you who are cruel or unkind, who've lied or gossiped about you, who've hurt your reputation, have damaged you in different ways. You are in difficult places. And friends, if that's not you today, before you see Jesus face to face, that probably will happen at different points in your life. Peter's already told us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. That the normal Christian life, friends, is not a Christian life of getting from birth to death in the easiest, happiest, most wonderful way possible. The normal Christian life is a life of having grief from various trials throughout our life. Now, that's not popular. It doesn't sell books today, but that's the counsel of Scripture. That The normal Christian life is verse 6 right there, that we will be grieved by various trials throughout this life, including the trials of unjust authorities that we are under at times. So the question for these early Christians and the question for you and I as well, friends, is how do we respond to the trials of unjust authority as we walk through this life. And Peter tells us how we're to respond to them. Go back to verse 18 today. That first phrase, servants be subject 
to your masters. Now, this phrase, be subject, is the same word that we saw a few weeks ago when Rick preached on the government. It's the word to submit. The, the counsel of God's word for us, where the authorities over says we are to submit to those authorities. Now, we defined it several times, but let me remind you what we're looking at. To submit is to willingly give honor and to give obedience to those God has put in authority. To submit is to not just obey, but it's to give honor as well to those who are in authority. And so what Peter tells these servants, these slaves of the Roman Empire, is to willingly give honor and obedience to their masters. And what's he telling us as well is to whoever has authority over us, that teacher, that boss, that government worker, that we are likewise to willingly give honor and obedience to that person. And that God's will is not confusing for us here, fuzzy here. God's will is that we are to submit to those in authority. And notice something here. This obedience and respect for authority is not contingent on the character of the person in authority. Verse 18 here. Now, we don't like this phrase. We can be honest about this. But it says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle. Now, let's just pause right there. We saw a few weeks ago, I quoted Paul Tripp. He says, I don't love authority. And I don't love authority either, and you probably don't love authority either. So it's hard enough for us to love authority when it's someone who's good and gentle. But Peter takes it up a notch. He says, be, submit, be subject, submit to your masters, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Now, this word unjust here is the Greek word scolios. And yes, that's where we get the English word scoliosis from, the curvature of the spine. This word literally means crooked. So a more literal translation for us here in verse 18 is to submit to your masters, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the crooked ones who are over you. We are not exempted from submitting to someone in authority just because they're unkind, just because they make their, our lives difficult, just because they are immoral, God calls us to still give honor and obedience. And friends, our flesh doesn't like that. That is about as countercultural and counterflesh as come, but that is the counsel of God's word here. Our normal pattern of lives is to submit, to give honor and obedience to people in authority, even if they are crooked. Now, but let me remind us here as an important qualification. We have a delegated authority. God is the ultimate Authorities. We saw just a few weeks ago, we are free in respect to human authority. And that freedom gives us the ability to joyfully submit to human authority unless it violates God's word. So when are we free from not obeying human authority? There's three situations where we are free from obeying human authorities. Three places where we're exempted from servants being subject to your masters, where we're exempted from having to obey those authorities over us. Number one, we're, we don't have to obey earthly authorities if what they're calling us to do is immoral. If what they're constantly was immoral, and by that I mean it is counter to the clear word of God. For example, Old Testament times, Exodus chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. This is a time where you had the, the Israelites in slavery, and you had the Pharaoh who was scared of their power, so he wants all the, the baby boys born to die. So here you have a group of Hebrew midwives. When you serve as midwife, this is coming from the Pharaoh to the ladies. When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women, and you see them on the stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. The daughter, you shall live. Now, friends, that is a human authority structure to God's people, but what they're being commanded to do is immoral. That's counter to everything that God had taught his people. So verse 17, what did these Hebrew midwives did? But the midwives feared God, and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the male children live. What these Hebrew midwives did was an act of faith and an act of obedience to a higher authority. Our normal pattern is to submit to earthly authorities, but when the earthly authority calls us to do something immoral, not against our preference, but immoral according to the word of God, then we submit to the higher authority as an act of faith and obedience. So 
but if it's immoral. Second reason we do not submit to earthly authorities is if what they're calling us to do is idolatrous. If what they're calling us to do is idolatrous. We have an example of this in Daniel. Daniel chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. The herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. Verse 5. That when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So God's people, they were living under Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Their normal pattern of life was to submit gladly and joyfully to Nebuchadnezzar as the king. But when he calls to do something idolatrous, they are free in God to refuse to obey. So Daniel chapter 3, verse 12. You may remember this from childhood studies of this story. There are certain Jews among who you have appointed over the affairs of your province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. These three men had as an act of faith and obedience to the higher authority chose not to obey the government authorities. Their normal pattern was to obey the king, but in this case they were called to something idolatrous, therefore they served the higher authority and obeyed God rather than men. So they were free to not obey if it's immoral, if it's idolatrous, but number three, if it suppresses the gospel. If it suppresses the gospel. Acts chapter 4 verses 17 to 20. We've seen this in recent weeks. This is when some of the apostles are before the Jewish leaders and they've been commanded to stop spreading the gospel. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Verse 18. So they called them, the apostles, and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now, how did they reply? Verse 19, he carries on. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you, rather than to God, you must judge. But here's the answer, verse 20. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. The normal pattern you see of the apostles is a glad submission to authority. They paid their taxes, they submitted, they spoke with respect to the authorities. But when they were called to do something that suppressed the gospel, they had to obey God rather than men. So the pattern for us here, as we're looking here in our text for today, is that we, are, as a normal pattern of life, submit to the authority, regardless of the character of the person in authority, unless what we are called to do is immoral, is idolatrous, or suppresses the gospel. Otherwise, we're to submit to that authority, regardless of their character. And friends, that is not easy. It goes against our nature, and Peter does not pretend it's easy. Go back to verse 19 of our text for this morning. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Peter doesn't like, oh, you're just going to be happy and smile. I know it's hard, but just put a smile on your face. It's going to all be okay. No, he says you're going to endure sorrows, and sorrows is plural. You endure different types of sorrows. It could be physical sorrows, mental sorrows, isolation, grief. There could be many things that happen when we seek to follow God and submit to the authorities. Our world is full of injustice. It's full of unjust leaders, and those unjust leaders can fill our lives with great sorrow, as some of you have experienced in your own life. And yet, in spite of that, God tells us, verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters. So how do we do that, friends? That is hard to do. It's hard to do when they're good and gentle. It's even harder to do when they're unjust or crooked. So how do we submit to authorities when it's hard to do that? And Peter tells us, and he gives us two key phrases that show us how to do this. The first phrase, go back to verse 18, is in this phrase here. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Now, that's not the most accurate English translation. Some of your translations may say, be subject to your masters with all fear. And that is the more correct translation. The literal word here in Greek is we're to submit to masters with fear. Now, that changes the whole meaning because when we hear respect, we're like, oh, that means I should submit to the authorities in a respectful, kind way. That's not what this is talking about. It says we're to submit to the masters with fear. 
That raises the question, fear of who? It's not fear of the authorities themselves. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, which we'll eventually get to. He says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So Peter just says you're not to fear man. You're not to fear the authorities. And so the Council of Scriptures, we don't live in fear of people. But we're just told here that we're to be subject to our masters with fear. That means it's not fear of them, but fear of who? It's fear of God himself. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 here. We saw this just a week ago. Honor everyone, love the brethren, and we fear God. So what Peter's saying is, yes, this is hard. Yes, your life may have sorrows when you submit to unjust authorities, but you do so not in fear of them. You do so in fear of God himself. So go back to verse 18. Subjects, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear of God. We submit to earthly authorities because we know God personally. We know his holiness. We know his justice. And we have a holy fear of our creator. In other words, friends, we can submit to broken sinners because we're submitting to God more than them. We can submit to broken sinners who are over us because we're submitting ultimately to God. Now that's reinforced in this other phrase that's important here in verse 19. For this is a gracious thing when, notice this, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. That we do so mindful of God. We do so thinking about Him and focused on Him. He's saying it's not just enough to endure suffering. This is not obedience for obedience sake. This is not that Christmas song, be good for goodness sake. This is do what's hard here, mindful of God. We are choosing obedience even when there's injustice because we have a holy fear of God and because we are mindful of Him. And so in those moments when our hearts want to rebel, in those moments when our hearts do not want to submit and just kind of raise up and have an awful thought of having to do that, we put off those sinful responses by putting on being mindful of God. We put off our sinful responses to authority by putting on being mindful of God. Now, what particularly are we mindful of God about? Well, there's a lot we can talk about. There's five things I want to encourage us to be mindful of when we're struggling with unjust authority, or in the words of this text here, crooked authority. What are five things we, we're, we're mindful of God about? Number one, we're mindful that God is sovereign over whatever we are enduring. We are mindful that God is sovereign over whatever we're enduring. Our lives are not spinning out of control. God is not up in heaven going, oops, I didn't see that one coming to their life. What are we going to do to fix this? God brings good even out of the hardships. That was what a lot of our songs were this morning, was praise to God, a reminder to one another of even in the hardships of life that God is still on his throne. We saw this earlier in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that... These trials aren't accidents. God has a purpose. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is sovereign over whatever we are walking through and will bring good out of it. Number two, we're mindful that God understands and he sympathizes. God understands and God sympathizes. This is what we're coming to next week, which is a much happier and easier text to address But look at verses 21 to 23. Here's the preview for next week. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 
When we talk to God about the injustices we face, when we talk to God about the suffering we are going through, we have a God who sympathizes and understands because he himself was treated unjustly. He himself suffered as he walked this earth. He was reviled. He suffered. He was threatened. You go through it at all. Christ went through it all. So he understands and he sympathizes. So God is sovereign. God understands and sympathizes. Number three, we are mindful that God offers us his presence and his help. We are mindful that God offers us his presence and his help. He does not promise to make life easy. He does not promise that we will always have a good boss over us. He does not promise we will always have just leaders over us. But he does promise to always be with us and walk through us and give us his presence and his help no matter what injustices we are facing in this life. Now that's also in today's text. It's an important phrase that's repeated two different times. Look at verse 19, how it begins. For this is a gracious thing. I go to verse 20 and notice how this ends. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now when scripture repeats itself, it's really, really important. And verses 19 and 20 are bookended with this exact same phrase, this is a gracious thing. Some of your translations may say this finds favor. Others may say this brings favor. Literally in the Greek, this phrase is simply, this is grace period. This is grace, period. So what he's saying here, for this is grace, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. In the end of verse 20, this is grace in the sight of God. In other words, friends, when we suffer, God gives us grace, verse 19, to be mindful of him. That's not something you and I do on our own. But God gives us grace in the midst of his. We face injustice and struggles. God gives us grace to turn our focus to him, to be reminded of those things we talked about, of his character. But then when we suffer in the midst of injustice, God gives us grace, verse 20, to do good and suffer for it, you endure. That is his grace. He gives us the grace to joyfully obey, to not respond sinfully, to show respect even to the crooked. This is, a, this is teaching us in these two phrases that God gives us the grace we need to submit to authority no matter how unjust they may be. This is grace. This is grace. The grace we need to obey this hard command. As I thought about this, this is Peter's way of saying what was said in John chapter 1 verse 16, one of my favorite phrases in all of scripture. And from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. So see in John we get grace upon grace. In 1 Peter, we see this is grace, this is grace. This is grace repeated because, friends, you and I cannot live this out in our own strength. We can't just decide we're going to do better in responding to authority and just have that white-knuckle determination. It will not work. We'll fall on our face every time. But God says, I give my presence, I give my help, I give my grace upon grace, I give my this is grace, this is grace for you to do what is countercultural, if you do what is counter-natural to your flesh. So what are we mindful of of God? That he's sovereign He understands because he himself has suffered. He offers us his grace or his help through this. But number four, we're mindful that he promises to one day make all things right. We are mindful that he promises one day to make all things right. Yes, friends, there is injustice now. And yes, it can hurt us now. But God is the just judge and he will punish every sin. Go back to verse 17 of chapter one here. So some weeks ago, you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. The day is coming where every sin will be dealt with. That means, friends, you and I do not have to take justice into our own hands because God will take care of every sin. He will handle it. And those who do injustice to us will be accountable before God one day. He promises to make all wrongs right. One last thing we're mindful of. God will reward us when we suffer injustice. God will reward us when we persevere in injustice. Look at verse 20 here. 
He tells us, for what credit is it? The word credit means reward. What reward? What credit? What do you gain when you sin and are beaten for it? You endure. Now, just stop there. He's saying, in God's sight, if you're getting suffering because you're making stupid, sinful choices, that's no benefit. But the flip is true. When you do good, in other words, when you endure suffering with joy because you're submitting to God, you get credit. You get rewards from God. And then we saw this earlier in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice this, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Peter's taking us back to that to say, yes, life may be hard now. Yes, you may face injustice now. But God will reward you in eternity for responding to the grace that he has given you to obey him in these hard things. Let's try to bring all that together this morning. We can submit to authority, friends, regardless of how we are treated, because we know that we belong to God. We can submit to authority regardless of how we're treated because we know that we belong to God, a God who is sovereign over the suffering we're enduring, a God who understands and sympathizes because he has walked through it himself, a God who offers his grace upon grace and helps us through it, a God who promises to make all things right, a God who will reward us in all eternity. So back to our main idea for the morning, we can submit to authority regardless of how we're treated, knowing that we belong to God. So just one question for you this morning, friends, in light of this text. How do you respond when you are wronged, especially by someone in authority? How do you respond when you're wronged, especially by someone in authority? Whether it's that boss at work who makes your life difficult, or it's that teacher who is partial and unfair, whether it's the government leader who does not apply the laws equally. How do you respond when you are wronged, especially by someone in authority? Do you and I respond with submission, honor, and obedience if it's not sinful things, knowing we belong to God? Or do we respond with our anger and our cynicism and our disobedience? As I was reading this week, I came across a very convicting quote. I want to read this to you. This author said, It seems to me a lot of people today, Christians included, justify their anger and justify their critical spirit by the wrongs that have been done to them. In other words, there are a lot of people who, if you point out to them that they are angry or bitter or critical or slanderous of others, immediately they tell you about how badly they've been treated or how they've been let down or how they've been hurt. There appears to be an automatic and deeply rooted sense that if I've been mistreated or let down or hurt, then the other person deserves to be shown up and brought to justice and paid back. And therefore, I have the right to make sure that happens. And I can use my criticism and my slander and my put-downs and my threats and my grudges to make sure they get their punishment. The author goes on and says, and it seems to me that less and less do I hear people say, yes, I've been unjustly hurt, let down, mistreated, and yes, they deserve to be shown up and brought to justice and reviewed, but no, I will not be bitter. I will not retaliate. I will not criticize. I will not slander. I will return good for evil, and I will bless rather than curse. I think this author's spot on. It's so easy for us to justify our cynicism or our anger, our critical spirits versus seeking good and seeking to obey the Lord in this. So friends, how do we respond when we're wronged, especially by those in authority? Let's ask God this week to give us the grace upon grace, or in Peter's word, that this is grace, this is grace, to remember who he is, to remember who we are in him, so we can respond even to unjust authority as a transformed people, as sojourners on our way to heaven. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are grateful that You use your word to change us and sanctify us. And Lord, we all confess that none of us love authority. None of us love submitting to authority. And Lord, you know how hard it is for us to submit to authority, even when it's those who are good and gentle over us. And 
Or do you know how quickly our hearts rise up in rebellion when there's unjust authority over us? Or do you see how quickly we're, we get bitter, how quickly we want to retaliate, how quickly we criticize, how quickly we slander? You hear what happens in our hearts and you hear what comes out of our mouths as we think about the injustices that we see around us. So we ask this week for much grace for you to be transforming us and growing us. Or to want to bless and not curse, to want to be a people who want to return good for evil, not evil for evil. And Lord, we just confess our dependence on you. Lord, we cannot manufacture that. We cannot create these hard affections, but God, you can. So we ask for your grace upon grace. We ask for your, this is grace, this is grace that Peter talks about here. To give us the grace to look on people the way you look on people. To trust our lives into your hands. And Lord, ultimately to know that you are on your throne and you're working all things according to the counsel of your will. So would you transform me and transform these precious friends even this week in how we respond to authorities around us for your glory and for our joy, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please? We're going to prepare to sing as we close out our service today. And we're going to sing a song to help us remember this is not our home. Because, friends, what we've just been talking about is so countercultural. And this can only happen as God's grace points us to the fact that this is not home. This is not what we're living for, but we're on our way to heaven. So I want us to close by reminding each other in song that... This is not our home, but heaven is. And close by praising God for the hope we have of eternity when those wrongs are made right, when there's no more injustice, when the rewards await us, and when ultimately we get to see Jesus face to face. So let's praise the Lord together that we are almost home.
blessed shore. Oh, praise the Lord. We're almost home. We're almost home. We're almost home. So press on toward that blessed shore. Oh, praise the Lord. We're almost home. we pray this week that you would remind us that this is not our home, that we are sojourners, we are exiles, we are strangers, ultimately we're servants of you. So Lord, we ask for much grace to have this countercultural perspective of knowing this is not our home, but we belong to you. We pray the fruit of that would be lives full of joy as we submit to you, our King, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday afternoon.